Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building. you set yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries, <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march or demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything. Thank you. 
So today's podcast is titled, uh, yes, it was reparations with literacy one-on-one, I think. But anyway, no, 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 it was the question. Do you think you deserve reparations? Nobody called in and answered that question. So today, <clears throat> reparations literacy, we're doing another reparations literacy podcast. And this, uh, well, the title of it is reparation literacy, internal Repar- reparations versus External reparations. What do you think about? How do you visualize reparations going to you or anybody? How do you, I mean? What 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 form does it take in? Does it take form? In? Is it internal reparations? Something that you do yourself. Or external. We're going to play some clips here. We'll start off with uh, MLK. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, Today, many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. This is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. Coming to get our check. And I had to tweak uh, what he said because everything he said in that statement wasn't all 100% correct. There are there's documented evidence that black folks did get in on some of that land bonanza, particularly in the states of Arkansas, no, excuse me, um, Oklahoma, as well as Texas. Um, anyway, so they've come to Washington to get their check 55 years later. You do have plenty of people, uh, it's the first of the month, that do get Section 8 vouchers or checks. Uh, they get some type of check or what have you. But, um, anyway, let's take a look at uh, how Malcolm X looked at this. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education 
into, would set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry, which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man a hundred years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he, has, he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind, make, up, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, He'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen. Okay, so with Malcolm X, that little um, soundbite there is a good example of internal reparations, not looking towards another race of people or color of people, not looking towards the government, start your own. All right, where's my, um, in the sound about with MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., they marched to Washington to get their check. I'm going to leave that open, whatever that means. Let's go to how some millennials out in the southwestern, or not southwest, northwest part of the country, I think Portland, Oregon, what they have done or doing for their idea of reparations. Well, a bar in Portland, Oregon offered a reparations happy hour earlier this week in which white people were not invited to attend, but were invited to pay for. About 100 people did pay their racial indulgences. That provided enough cash to cover free drinks for the non-white people who showed up. What is this about exactly? Well, Cameron Witten is the activist who organized it and he joins us tonight. Hey, Cameron, how you doing? Hey, Tucker. It's good to see you again. Nice to see you. So what's the, what's the thinking here? So Reparations Happy Hour is a, event that was, a successful event that was put on by nonprofit Brown Hope. You can find more information out on brownhope.org. And what we did was that 40 black, brown, and indigenous people attended this event. We had over 150 white people donate. And this wasn't about alcohol. Um, I've been sober for 27 years, so you can trust that I was not putting on an alcoholic event. What we did was we built community, and we made a space to heal from the impacts of racism. And I believe that you as a conservative can respect the fact that we had people voluntarily support this event and show that we as individuals can take action to heal from the impacts of racism.
It's a little patronizing, no, though? I mean, because the, the assumption is that all mm -hmm. black people are poor and need the help of white people. And it makes the white people feel virtuous, like they're coming to the rescue. And, it, and I don't know how it makes the black people feel, but it probably makes some of them feel patronized, I would think. Thank you, Tucker. So I saw your show, I saw your segment about uh, racism, Roseanne Barr. We're both here uh -huh. to agree that racism is real. We both agree that racism goes two ways. Yeah. What we're saying is that racial disparities, if you look at our country, the color of your skin is a predictor of how long you'll live, what kind of economic level you'll be in, um, and other factors. And so what we're saying is that... Well, it's actually, uh, Cameron, as someone who's familiar with the numbers, let me just say it's not quite that simple. I mean, yeah. broadly, maybe, but, I mean, African immigrants to this country have higher income levels than native-born white Americans. So it's not quite as not well, quite, black and white fine. as you're suggesting. Um, so, and I guess that's kind of the point that I am making, is that not all black mm -hmm. people are the same, not all white people are the same. They have different attitudes, yeah. different income levels. And this kind of suggests they are because you're saying if you're a certain color, you're in one category. If you're in another color, you're in another category. That makes me uncomfortable. Why does that make you uncomfortable? What we're saying that racism is real and that racial disparities exist. And so we're offering a solution saying that we are calling on folks from a privileged demographic to pay into a solution and invest in the leadership of black, brown, and indigenous people. By paying we for don't care about exceptions, we <laughs> care about the facts. And the okay. facts state that racial disparities exist, and Brown Hope has offered solutions for us to build so let, let me just ask you this. impacts of racism. Okay, I'm not, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a very clever deal you got going. Pay for my drinks and everything will I be fine. I am clever. Thank you, Tucker. <laughs> I'm Thank I'm you. I'm very impressed. clever. You are an entrepreneur in a, in a hilarious way. But let me just ask this. Would it make you feel... Who would have thought that a tiny event that already happened in Portland and now I'm on Fox News, now New York Times well, is covering I think it. It's this was a I'm clever not, event. I, we <laughs> elevated reparations. I, and we're, I agree. I agree. I'm no, so we'll real on that. But let me ask you this. <laughs> Would it make you uncomfortable if mm -hmm. someone who made less than you did paid mm -hmm. for your meal or your drinks because you were a different mm -hmm. color? Would that make you feel uncomfortable? So what we're looking at is the real wealth disparity in our country, and we know that the wealth disparity between blacks and whites is between is around 10 to 1. So we know no, that the disparity that's is real. Not, hold so, on, no, no, so no, no. What's that, your, that's what's your fact? speaking in general Give me your counterfacts. Well, I already gave you one of my counterfacts, which is African immigrants make more than white Americans on average. Are you, but are you uncomfortable always... talking about the realities of this country? Well, actually, because I'm not giving true. you, you're upset that I'm using general terms. You're no, upset no, that I'm using statistics. No, no, what, no, you I seem actually, uncomfortable. I, <laughs> I'm amused. But let me ask you this. <laughs> me too. Does it make you uncomfortable to generalize on the basis mm -hmm. of race in the way that mm -hmm. you are, despite the fact you're making money from it, which again, as a capitalist, I applaud. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing scam, but does it make you uncomfortable at all? Scam. It is. No, so even looking at the civil rights movement, we saw that racial disparities existed, and you could be like, oh, generally, some people in the civil rights era were doctors, or some people could vote. So we've always had exceptionalism. But in the general fact, look at the facts. The facts matter, and we know that racial disparities exist. So empowerment exist. is just paying, like the no, but I guess the, the, we're the being part resourceful. That I love. We're it, working it, with our partners <laughs> to invest in this work. It. We were successful. Uh -huh. We were successful. Send Brown me a guilt offering. Pay for my drinks. 
Yeah, you are winning. You are winning this game. You are the winner. I love that. Cameron, and I can tell you, the majority of people who came to this, we got $10 in cash from the majority of folks who were there. They spent that money on gas, gave that money to friends, paid for rent. This was not about alcohol. We raised a great issue. We called it happy hours. And you made money. This event was about. You made money, Cameron. That's right. We elevated reparations. We elevated reparations because. Good job. Are you a Unfortunately, we're out of time. I You're a capitalist. I know that. I thought I was a capitalist until I met you. Speechless behind. Repra. Anyway, let's go to Umar Johnson. He breaks it down further. Do you feel that we should be concerned with what's owed to us? as far as reparations mm -hmm. and things that were stolen? Excellent question. I believe we should be concerned with things that are owed to us as it relates to reparations, things that were stolen, unpaid wages from slavery. However, the question becomes, what do you prioritize? Do you prioritize your external reparations or do you prioritize your internal reparations? See, for me, the internal always precedes the external and that the external should not come until the internal has taken place or the external will benefit the oppressor more than it benefits you. In other words, I think there's white people who are praying for black people to get reparations. I'm going to say it again. I think there's white people who are praying for black people to get reparations. Why? Because we have no internal infrastructure. We have no economic cyclical network. If we got a trillion dollars today for slavery, White folks will be a trillion dollar richer tomorrow because where are you spending it? With white businesses, white restaurants, white, white hotels, uh, white, the white airlines. You're buying homes from white realtors. So it, who, if you don't have an economic network to capture your money, it goes back to the people who gave it to you. So my message to the reparations movement, don't stop the fighting. But as hard as you fight for reparations, you should be fighting equally hard for internal reparations. Let's take the $1 trillion we have already and build the political economic infrastructure in the black community so when we are paid back, when we receive our financial retribution that was due to our ancestors, we'll be able to capture it. If you can't capture the $1 trillion that you are generating already, that you're spending disproportionately on malt liquor, disproportionately on Korean manufactured hair, disproportionately on European automobiles, disproportionately on vacationing. If you, if you can't even contain the $1 trillion spending power you got now, what the hell are you going to do with $100 trillion of that? You see, so my thing is I think we're putting a cart before the horse. You understand? Put the horse first, and the horse is internal reparations, internal. And the reason I say internal comes first External comes second, in addition to the reason I already gave, is it eats away at your motivation and resolve and your self-reliance to change your situation. If you say, I need reparations to fix black America, you're giving our progress, the, the control of our progress over to our oppressor. You're saying we can't fix our problems until the white man pays us. So until the white man pays us, we don't fix our problems. So you're giving him control over black progress. Don't give him that victory. Because if the white man says black folks don't think they could do nothing until we give them reparations. Oh, wow, really? Well, don't give them none. I guess they'll never do nothing. No, you don't say that. And what that does is it makes black folks complacent. Well, we need reparations. Until we get reparations, we can't fix anything. You see, we become apathetic. No, we can't do nothing. We need the money that reparations is going to give us. 
And my question is, how much more money are you going to get than the money that you're blowing anyway? You're worried about being paid, but you're not worried about saving what you already have. Deal with the internal contradictions first. If we don't, we will blow this reparations movement if we don't take care of home first before we start going out to war with the European. My question is for the reparations movement. Number one, who are the lawyers arguing this? How much are they to be paid as a result of the payout? Because most lawyers get anywhere from 25 to 45% commission on the lawsuit. Are they doing this out the good of their heart? I'm doing this purely because I love African people. I don't want no commission. Or is this a capitalistic, opportunistic scheme where they get 45% of the reparations payout? Because I'm not hearing nobody talk about that. Is this pro bono? And do we have a contract with the attorneys of the reparations movement that say it is pro bono? In other words, you get paid, but no more than the next African does. Or is this some type of hustle? Because you've got to watch the opportunists amongst us. We have them. Every people has opportunists. You understand? So I'm looking for that. Because some corporations who participated in slavery have already made payouts. Certain NAACP chapters around the country have been paid by banks that was linked to slavery. They settled. In other words, they got bought out. I want to know who's involved. Because the white man will come along and say, listen, we owe black folk a trillion bucks but we're going to pay the lawyers for the reparations movement a couple million so they knock down the overall asking price. So we got to pay. But we end up saving half of what we should have paid because we cut a side deal. Uh-uh. I need to know the terms. And to be honest with you, money, if it is to be on the list of demands, should be at the bottom of the list because, number one, America's money is worthless. You understand? And number two, we don't have the economic infrastructure to capture it. Number three, the only thing you can do with money is give it away in exchange for something, mostly junk if you're dealing with black folks. You see? And number four, because the benefit of slavery will never expire. The benefit of slavery to America will never expire. As long as there's an America, there's a benefit to be accrued by the enslavement of our ancestors. So whatever we get for reparations should likely, should also be things that can never expire. You understand? Money runs out. So money cannot be an appropriate retribution for slavery because the benefit that America receives from slavery can't run out. So whatever we get can't run out, whether that means free education, whether that means you never pay taxes again, whether that, mean, whether that means that uh, black people are given exclusive control over certain countries, exclusive controls over certain railways, or, or waterways, industries, resources, those things can never run out. That's what I want. I want commodities and assets. I want wealth. Don't give me no damn cash. And I think with a lot of these reparations people, they're thinking about dollar bills. They're not thinking about commodities, wealth, and assets. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps now, this is what we are faced with and this is the reality now when we come to washington in this campaign 
We're coming to get our check. Okay, we're coming to get our check. Somebody do the math. Um, go by me. Let's say you get a trillion dollars and divide it among, what, 40, 40 million black folk in the country. What does that come out to be? I'm, I'm with Umar Johnson on this. Until you get yourself together internally, internal repar- reparations, and nobody can do that for you but you. You won't be able to do the outer things to capture and benefit from any form of external reparations, including marching to Washington for your check. Let's see what you know, that's fifty-five years ago. So let's let's look what's happening. That's you know that's a little bit over two two generations here. You know EBT cards, WIC. Um, food stamps, Section 8 vouchers, um, and as Umar Johnson said, look at look at what we what some African Americans at all have spent that money on or spend it on. This is first. It's the first of the month right now, and what well, actually what July third. There are some people that got their, what's the day, Tuesday, they got their check yesterday. They're broke today. They're not broke today. They'll be broke by the end of this weekend. So imagine what they would do with an external reparation in the form of going back to MLK. A check. You know, it's, it's everybody's not the same. Everybody's not the same. Right. Uh, today's podcast, once again, is reparations literacy, internal repra- uh, reparations versus external repra- uh, rep- uh, reparations. 619-768-2945 is live stream number. Press one if you want to get in. We'll go on the phone lines pretty soon. I, yesterday I asked the question, do you whoever you might be listening to this podcast, do you think you deserve reparations? You can call in today and answer that question yes or no as well. Nobody attempted to answer that question yesterday. Of course, we we did a a brief podcast yesterday. But I will say this, because there's been, I don't know, God knows, a never-ending barrage of talk shows Radio, internet, TV for de- decade on reparations. Let and this is why I asked the question yesterday. I'm asking today: Do you think you individually deserve reparations? Now, I'm gonna tell you where you can get it. We'll go to the law. Reparations, because we're talking about getting paid for being injured, is basically a personal injury lawsuit. So 
you on an individual basis, if you think you deserve reparations, I'm going to give you some step-by-step things you can do starting today. You can go hire. Now, you don't want any type of personal injury attorney. You want a reparate attorney that specializes in reparations. Reparations attorney. You're also going to, you're going to have to come out of your pocket with this. You're also going to have to come out of your pocket to get a reparations investigator because we're going to have to take who you are today and we're going to have to go, we're going to have to do some roots here. We're going to have to go back in time. Some of you will find out through your reparations attorney, and not not attorney, but reparations investigator of your bloodline, that some people that say they're African American, they never had anybody in their bloodline enslaved in this country. Some of you are going to find that out. So much for you getting the reparations. If it comes in the form of a check like MLK was talking about, some of you are going to find out from a reparations investigator that you had family members on that tree that were slave owners themselves. So you're not going to get a reparations check either. There's a lot of stories behind that. Some, and then you know what? Some of you, you're going to trace it all. You can trace it all the way back across the water because Ghana recently admitted or apologized for their part in a slave trade. So, and now we're going to throw it back to your reparations attorney because now we're talking about international law. So you're going to have to hire another attorney. Um. For that, so you're into two attorneys, a reparations attorney, because reparations, once again, is a personal injury lawsuit. You you don't have to wait to get a group of people. This is something that you can do yourself. Now, here's another thing, because you're probably going to have to go through a a deposition. You're going to have to, this is 2018, you're going to have to document how you individually have been injured by reparations in 2018. Mind you, slavery was abolished, what, 150 so years ago, 160 years ago, somewhere up there. I know just in my family, I, like I mentioned yesterday, I got an aunt that's 102. She's got enough land for a subdivision, and she's not. So she's not talking. And I don't know any slaves. And I don't know anybody who. She's the closest relative I know that might have, mind you, might have met a person that was a slave. So you're going to have to you're going to have to document how you in 2018 had you individually met have been personally injured by slavery. I like the Umar Johnson, Malcolm X 
the whole idea of, look, you know what? Start your own thing. Start your own business, create your own jobs, develop that into an industry. It's a lot less expensive. In any event, um, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, hold it, wait a minute. Yeah, let me let me go to the phone lines here. Let me open up the phone. Lines. Okay, three fourteen. Your mic is open. What do you say, Ellie? Uh, I'm just. Tomorrow's the fourth. I didn't realize it snuck up on me. Real quick. Well, you know, those are some good questions you put out there. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with Johnson saying money, American money is worthless. Yeah, I disagree with that, too. Then he's trying to tell people how to spend their money that it is worthless. But he had uh, trying to get it from him, too open up a school or whatever. Yeah, it's and, this, and this idea of wanting something that somebody else created. That's the same thing you hear when people say that uh, talk about the settlers who first came to this country <clears throat> and they have drew a long line of processions created to what it is today. Then you got people in the southern hemisphere want to come up here and utilize it, have access to it under some claim. Then you got what is internal repair and who does the repair? We ever identified that? Is this another one of these things where people pay a fee, come sit down and listen to somebody, talk to them, do a psychoanalysis of them that may not even apply to the individual? But you paid to see. And it is, you like saying that something's wrong with somebody because they don't follow a prescribed set ways of how they should act, carry on, say things, want things, and also how they spend their money. Right. Then to say that blacks didn't get no land, that's not true. You're right about that. Quite a few blacks did get land. <laughs> Any black that sponsored a European here got 50 acres of land free. Mm-hmm. Those that were black businesses. Then you got the question of who, like you may mention, who you actually are. If you straight from yeah, Africa, yeah, they yeah, get a lot of people, Many people would be disappointed with that one. Oh, yeah, they would. If you straight from Africa, you get $10. If you fifty fifty European you get five. If you twenty five percent African you only get twenty you only get two dollars and fifty cents. So you absolutely right, they would get be very uh, disappointed. And then here's the next thing. When you start searching your lineage, you may find that you owe. Because Good point. African tribes, you wanna call them use the word tribe, they fought each other. That's how come Africans, that's how they got ended up over here. Because right. the A-Way and the Shanti was, Shanti's was fighting each other left and right. They still have a disdain. So if you had an Ashanti 
a, a, a group of marauders that came into uh, Away Village and stole their cattle, stole their, their, their livestock, burnt their villages, and they warred back and forth from there. If they got caught, you got one or two things. They're going to want you to pay for what you messed up. You killed five cows, right. pay for it. You raped it. So if you can't, guess what? They're going to try to get – you are worth something to them to go toward the havoc that you caused. So they're going to sell you off. And maybe they didn't right. get enough when they sold you off to traders to pay for the damage that you done. So you may find out that if you want to go searching your lineage like that, you actually owe somebody something rather than expecting to receive something. That's well, why I come right. that you to today. It's called a, that's called that happens today in, in the courts. It's called a deficiency judgment. You're absolutely right. Many black folks mm-hmm. that want reparations, if if it's if it's investigated properly, some will owe money. Then then what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. And that's why I come I tell people I'm glad slavery happened. Because if I had a, if my lineage had stayed there and wasn't able to pay these people their money, then they might have killed them. Then what happens to, you know, the lineage from that point on? So see, a lot of people, and I, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir. A lot of people take, you know, the, the version of this, where you know some white folks went into the jungle and had some nuts and coffee. That's not the whole story, because just as you mentioned, many of the people that ended up on these slave ships, basically. In, in, in modern terms, many of the tribes that were in Africa then, and some even today, are in what I call the human resources business. They they were selling human people that didn't pay debt. What happens today if you don't pay child support? A man, you go, go to jail. You get locked up. Right. Mm-hmm. So what changed in what two hundred years or so? Really nothing. Debtors, what happens debtors, if you What happened if you win the lottery? And they you they've been paying your child support for for a long time. You still owe them, right? Right. That adds One up. other And uh here's the thing now let's talk about what reparations <clears throat> could be had, but you have to get yourself in a position where you got something they want and they, you have something that they need. If you look at right. Israel, and we don't have to get into detail, Israel's in a position that they have something the United States needs, and that's why come they get so much aid from the United States because they're carrying out an activity that the United States does not have to put uh, people there to do themselves. For instance, a military. Another thing, reparations along the line of business deals business perks and laws that will permit you to operate unencumbered by some of the same rules and laws that other businesses operate under where you would be able to have trade agreements for instance another thing for instance like if you was in Africa and you was doing some sort of manufacturing and it requires and you want to bring those products into the United States well it requires that a U.S. agency would have to come over and do an inspection of your premises and making sure that things are co-cosmetic with what it requires to bring into this country. Same thing they expect uh, food processing plants today, poultry houses today. 
the same thing. Now, here's the kickback. If they require, see where it is now, they require these rules to apply to the whole nation, and you only want it to apply to your facility. Well, that could be a reparation item. Say, look, we want to be able to just apply the safety standards to our location, not the whole country, because you're not going to get it through the whole country. It's almost literally impossible. That could be a reparation uh, consideration. And also other things along that line, certain trade agreements where you don't have to pay duties and tariffs on your items coming into the country so that it would give you leverage to compete with other foreign products. Like we're talking about these tariffs today where right. countries are bringing in items that is uh, subsidized by their country, whereas our local businesses, manufacturers can't compete and they just go out of business. Well, that could be a reparation item and say, look, we want to be void of these expenses, these fees, these duties, these tariffs, so that we compete compete with them. And in many cases, we want you to impose a tariff on outside foreign interest sending items into the country that's going to compete with what we're doing. That could be a reparation discussion. And many along those lines, you want, you want access to the latest and technology to man and uh, equip your research and development facilities. You want to have uh, expedient, uh, okay, uh, expedient okays on your trials and not have to stand in line and go through that long, rigorous uh, imbalance. So there's a lot of things that could be done, but it has to be done based on you doing, for your, doing things yourself, forming businesses, and so on, so on, so on. And you just need to have a heads up over the rest of the pack, which will help you be on a level playing field. That there could be a reparation item. Being able to send your kids to, mm-hmm. Being able to go into world museums without paying a fee, that could be a reparation item. Right. So, right. Yeah, it's a lot of things. I got. Yeah, I matter of fact, I got about two hundred points. <laughs> One contemporary example of uh, the United States government paying out reparations, uh, and people can look this up on the Internet. If you look up Civil Liberties Act of 1988, Civil Liberties Act of 1988, Ronald Reagan signed that bill, and uh, signed that into law. That was essentially the United States government paying Japanese Americans reparations for the internment camps that they were in. Look that yeah, up. for the second so, time. And, you know what? And Pianchi, you're absolutely a thousand percent correct. Because what they did, well, I mean, if you looked at what Japanese Americans did, was collectively they bankrolled everybody from the dog catcher to the president of the United States, congressmen, senators, mayors, and you know, all the main councilmen, that type of thing. You know, you got Toyota, you got Mitsubishi, you got uh, they have some of the largest banks in the world. Japanese. Really, I mean, very resilient and developed several industries before that was even that, you know, they they were, you know, putting that thing together for the Civil Liberties Act of 1988. So for black folk, African Americans that want that are serious about reparations, look up the Civil Liberties Act of 1988. That's your roadmap. But like you said, Kabianke, you're going to have to. Develop some ministries, and then you're going to have to have something 
that the United States government wants or need. You're going to have so we got a ways to go on that. Now it's been I don't know how many years, but uh, well, you know what's happening, don't you? What's it? These immigrants is coming in and taking blacks' place. That's what's happening very quietly, unsuspiciously. They don't even look you in the eye. They got to go. And if you lay their gold out on paper and look at it yourself and closely examine, they're taking your place. That's true. Matter of fact, it's even happening with the National Basketball Association. It'll be, you know, because they're, they're, they're playing exhibition games in Europe already. And they're already drafting players. They've been doing that for a little bit of players from Europe. Maybe in 10, 15 years, the NBA might be 10% black. It it might be. It might be 10% black. And you know why that is? It's because these countries are entering into deals, treaties, and they're putting that stipulation that we want to have such and such and such with this area here. We want to see more of our players. So if you're going to have world television, well, people in other parts of the world want to tune in and see people that look like them. The same thing it is with China. When that one yeah. center, that Chinese guy, Yao, whatever his name yeah. was, yeah. whenever yeah. he was on, yeah, yeah. yeah. when he was right. on the court, you had a viewership in China that was completely off, out the, off the charts. Probably you got but nearly when, 2 million people, billion people over there. And then you got Germany, yeah. you're right. Like in I tell you some places. Years. Yeah, Jerry right. Lynn. So, um, and, I, and, they're, they're, and they come to the game. Uh, and now you have, I mean, the, the Chinese, matter of fact, the basketball leagues, professional basketball leagues around the world, China's got a respectable league. The developing European markets. Um, you're right. But the NBA, matter of fact, I'm, you know, I'm going to piggyback on what you're saying. The NBA probably in about 10 or 15 years might be just 10% black. And these Nigerians are going to take over. And, and these Nigerians may make up that 10% because if college is the way that you have to go through in order to get there, well, look who's going to be taking over. It already is. Taking all those college seats under the auspices of being black, and there's some Nigerians. You had that right. black you know student. Thinking, when you said that, I'm thinking about the late Manu Bowl. I'm thinking about um, one of the Twin Tower guys, uh, Olajuwon. Mm-hmm. So you do, you're Our right. King Olajuwon. Yeah, and the yeah. same thing so is going right. to be in football, too. Any, if professional football, College football. If you got to go through college football to get to professional football, if you got to go through college basketball to get to professional basketball, then Nigerians is going to be the black in those areas because they are predominantly on the college campuses when it comes down to black period. So they ain't stupid. They're going to use every advantage that they can. Even Job Corps, I was doing something with solar energy some years ago uh, at a job in D.C., and what the director told me was that um, some of the top students there were, like you just said, Nigerians some, or other parts of Africa. Um, some came from other countries, couldn't speak English, but they, so they would learn how to speak English and then keep up with their coursework at Job Corps. But even mm-hmm. with that language barrier, they were like the top students, and that's with Job Corps, you know. So um, 
Hey, thanks for that, that feedback, Bianca, on that. But you're right. I, I agree with you on that. And look at the National Society of Black Engineers. And 40% of their oh. membership is black, is Nigerians. 40% mm. of their membership is Nigerians. And that's where your stem, that's where your stem blacks are coming from. Not not all, but a whole lot of them. But anyway, man, I just well, want to add that. Okay, thanks a lot. 773, your mic is open. Good morning. Good morning and good morning to your guests. Oh, I'm good back. morning, uh, Pleasant. I'm back. Great. And uh, I like this conversation you guys are having this morning. As you and I talked yesterday, we're getting our reparation now. You know, I told you about that we uh renovating the city. And I just talked to some people this morning about putting an airport. They asked me, did I have on the, that on the cutting board? I said, yeah. I got that in the transportation, a part of the transportation system, because here in Illinois, the uh, Robins, Illinois, had a black airport. You looked that up. <clears throat> so, no, plus, you let know, me ask you this. What kind of airport? What kind of airport? Commercial airport or municipal airport? I don't know what kind it was because they sold it out. Okay. I just know that they had it. They just had an airport because I used to work on the doctor's airplane out there. Well, I wasn't working on the airplane shit. I was out there polishing it and getting it ready for flight. <clears throat> so okay. we, and I've stated so many times, collectively, we have to have a vested interest in a capitalistic system, and the majority of our people don't understand collective interest in a capitalistic system set at the table to make decisions. They think that they can do this shit all by themselves. You cannot do it by yourself. You don't see the people that have Sparta and Walgreens uh, on the shelves of Walgreens. You never see the face of the people that do the producing. You never see the face of the people that have the product on the shelves of uh, Walmart. You don't ever see the faces of those people that's doing the producing. You don't ever see the face of the people that's making the trucks and the cars and the vehicles that we're talking about for transportation. You never see the face of those people. And when we look and don't do our study, don't do the history, uh, General Motors <clears throat> wasn't a manufacturer. General Motors was an assembly plant. I haul parts and assemble parts, these parts to assemble in uh, Oklahoma where they uh, assemble cars. I hauled it in, into there, parts, engines out of, out of uh, I hauled the engines out of uh, uh, Michigan for that plant. So I didn't go, when I was out there for 35 years, I didn't go looking for, that I was looking for what was going on. I was looking to see what people actually need, use, and how they got it, and the people that has an invested interest in it that you never see. So we are now, uh, I had the first opportunity, we are now looking at, well, we're going to put it on the table when we meet next week, put it on the table to uh, build another airport in uh, a slave town, 
that was it, these people was in slavery. You looked it up on the, on the on the internet yesterday. These people were enslaved. So I think I explained to you how they went around Indiana to get into Canada to get away from the Ku Klux Klan. So you're going to have obstacles, and you don't want your obstacles to be black folks because black folks have been brainwashed, and if you read and understand the Willie Lynch letter, you will see how we've been misled mis- and, and, uh, and miseducated through the system for the last for the last five hundred years since slavery. All of it's not our fault because that was the only way we knew how to survive and our families to survive. So yeah, we made a lot of mistakes. But let me give you one for for instance. Fifty years ago, Dr. King was asking for a wage for for the garbage people, and they killed him 50 years ago. My question to the audience today is who were making, producing the caskets that he was buried in? Right down the street from from Detroit, from uh, Memphis, is a casket factory. That casket factory is owned by the Ku Klux Klan. They even named the little township after after him, after, after the Klan. So are we so dumb and stupid that we can collectively get together and put our pennies in the right place as to where we can have ownership and sit at the table to make decisions and pass laws as everybody else? You don't ever see them. Other, all these people that you talked about this morning, you don't see them protesting. They don't protest. Hell, they get busy collectively and put their money together. It, they, right. they, you know what they say? You know what they say? I don't give a damn for lose 15, lose 15 cents because 15 cents wasn't going to make me rich in the first place. So I'd rather take a chance on my 15 cents making me some money leaving a legacy for my kids so that they can be at the table so that they too can come out of college and all the educate, get all the education as possible, so that we can write the books, so that we can pay the teachers, so that we as a nation of people can be independent. That's all it boils down to is collective investing in a capitalistic system. We can talk this shit all we want to about who we are, reparation and all that other stuff. Reparation ain't about shit. You're talking another five hundred here trying to get some reparation. And you see what I am right. You're or mm-hmm. you, you, that's a very good point because I, I think I mentioned it yesterday. I mean last week. That it's been fifty five years since the March on Washington. King's been gone fifty years. We've had two million man marches. That's fifty five years. That's a little bit over two generations. And Martin Luther King's children, the three remaining out of the four, because uh, the oldest you learned to pass, suffered the court. Because there was no generational wealth claim, also known as, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, estate plan. MLK and Coretta Scott did not set up an estate plan. So, uh, you know, we need, we need to regroup this thing. We gotta tear the system down and rebuild it. And that's what we are. 
in the process of doing right now in a little town they call uh, Pembroke, Illinois. Pembroke, Illinois, but yeah, I'm in the 1800s. I was tempted to, to do a podcast on that, but I said, no, no I don't want to steal your thunder or nothing like that, because I know that, that's... <laughs> no, that's a, no, no, I, I think the public needs to know that we mm-hmm. have had opportunity, we still have opportunity, and like you you were building houses in um, in, uh, in the little city that you're talking about. There's enough yes, land that we don't have to be. A, we don't have to be. What would you say? Not to just mention that was tab, but what you're talking about. Yeah, tab, 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 The two black. You got to get the two black townships. Two, and there are probably more. I just, but it's, you talk, You told me about two yesterday. I didn't even know that was on the radar. Uh, like you just mentioned, uh, Pembroke, Illinois, uh, which is found by a former slave. Fort Heights, Pembroke, and another joining, uh, another joining Fort Hager plot. Uh, my second life was 10 of those folks that that uh, that started that, well, that uh, township. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we we really don't at this point in time with the technology that we have, if we as educated as we say we are, we don't have time to waste talking about reparations. The reparations lying right in front of us. And we are trying to go around it. We're, we're, we're trying that that was a tomahawk slam dunk pleasant. The reparations, and you just gave, put out two examples, are right in front of us. I, I can almost say in plain sight. You just named two of them, uh, uh, Hopkins Park, Illinois, and um, Pembroke, Illinois. That's just two. And, for, and don't forget Fort Hanks. Oh, it's right Hanks. down the street from it. No, it, it, what, what the, what's the history on Robbins? Uh, Illinois. I don't know all the history of Robbins. I do. I did some research, and I do know Robbins was the first black airport in uh, in Illinois. Mm-hmm. That I do know, because I used to go out there to work you know and polish an airplane. I think you and now Robbins became so poor with their ignorance. Is that they sold the land to another joining municipality? Okay. That's stupid. And you we elect these people to office, and they don't know anything about history, nothing. But they can talk. They can give you a big speech, like we were talking about the millionaire march. You you heard speech after speech after speech, but you have never heard about a solution to the problem. Right. They don't come with solutions to the problem. There's a solution to the problem from the beginning is collectively putting your damn things together so that you can have a seat at the table to make decisions. And if you can't make decisions, you will have somebody else validating what they want you to do, should do, how to do it, and all that other stuff. Some people that was right. in didn't do that. Young people with slaves got down and built their houses without bank financing. So what are we waiting on? 
what are we waiting on? And I'm going to add this off to the hill. Yes. And we I got I got the building of the airport in Pembroke, Illinois, on the table that we'll be discussing next week. All right, good. Good. Yeah, but uh-huh. you know what? I think that the title for tomorrow's podcast for it will be you just named it. Reparations are right before they they really are. It's right in front of us. It's right in front. It's right in front of us, and we uh, we are afraid to pick it up. We are afraid of it. whose idea was that? Who thought of that? And you know what? Uh, Just by saying that, that, a lot of gentrification happens that way, because and in, in, <clears throat> like if you look at a lot of hardcore black neighborhoods, it's the the part that some people call the hood, ghetto, or whatever. And you see these Koreans or Arabs, they go into these neighborhoods and open up gas stations, auto body shops, auto mechanic shops, convenience stores, and Detroit they call them party stores, uh, wig shops. All that was in plain sight, those vacant and boarded up storefronts. That was our reparations right there, but many of us did not see it. Therefore, that's how the Arabs coming here, Chinese coming here, Koreans coming here, and they do it on a family level. A lot of them, and a lot of those. Well, they do it on family level. Yeah, they do it on a family level. As far as you know, from what you can see, what about the problem that they have behind them with people that don't know show their faces? What about those folks? They have a vested interest in what these people are doing. Look at Chinatown right. in Chicago. Chinatown, they got people that's out there waiting at the waitress and stuff, but you don't see nobody. You don't see the ownership of China, of these stores and storefronts in the land and the houses. You never see them. Where are they? They don't expose themselves. Right. They don't march. They don't protest. They go in the room and they make decisions, and you never see them. Right. You never see them. So, well, yeah, we basically, understand. when you see a dollar, right. when you see yeah, a dollar get, store, get, family dollar store, essentially, you're looking at China. Yeah. You see the people at the counter. You don't see, you don't see the, anything there behind the register. But that's essentially yeah. uh, every dollar store. Well, not everyone, but because there one is one American dude that's a billionaire also. But a lot of but any way that guy owns it. But a lot of the inventory that that comes from China. Well, right. I got my son. I'll be meeting my son tomorrow because we're we're going to congregate out there at his house in uh, Kankakee, which is 15 minutes right away from this other Timber. Um, which at 15 minutes from Pembroke, we're going to be uh, having dinner out there with him. And I'm getting him lined up so that we can start our first assembly plan. It, it would make sense. Oh, please, you already broke. Yeah, I spent a bunch of money in Indiana, but I couldn't get them black folks together. 
And as I was saying yesterday, get your ducks in line. If they don't have a vested interest, don't fool with them. Because right. they will take your money down the drain. Not on the drain. They ain't going to do nothing but talk smoke. So, I know what you're talking uh, about. I, 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 I don't want to be critical this morning. Um, and uh, I want the audience to know that I've just had I've had two operations in the, in the two years. I've been off the grid, but I'm back. I've had an open heart surgery, and that's coming along real, real well. I wasn't on the air with uh, talking about these issues with you guys. I didn't leave. I just had to take a vacation because at one point right. when I had my uh, operation on my thyroid. Uh, I wasn't able to speak because I get I get excited when I'm talking about the how black folks black folks have all kind of education and they have never learned how to be collectively independent in a capitalistic system. They know nothing about capitalism. All they know about is that I was in business. I was one of them. I was in business. I had. Five semi-tractors. I had uh, two one-night clubs in the lounge. Do you think that I didn't think that I was? I had two Cadillacs. And my Cadillacs, I, I, every two years I trade one of them in. The oldest one I trade in. Do you think for once that I didn't, I didn't think that I was on top of the lead? Shit, I thought I was somebody. I didn't have shit. Nothing, because I didn't have it in place to employ every one of my children and leave a legacy for my great-great-great-grandkids. My great-grandfather that I know of left a legacy for me in Arkansas. I still own the land, but I didn't pay it any attention of how they did it with no education, and I was born in a log house, eight-room log house that was built by my grandparents with no nails, none. And I helped build the, the house after I got to be a young man that my father built. And my daddy sat down and taught me the capitalistic system, which I didn't, wasn't trying to pay attention to, taught me uh, all the laws and the maps and where we came from and how we got here and all that other good stuff. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in making money. I was logging, making more money than in a week than my daddy could make in a month. Do you think I was paying him some attention? No, I was not. Mm-hmm. Until my son until my son died from cancer working for somebody else. Called cancer and causing this chemical. And I got mad in hell, and I went to work. I shut down all of my businesses and lived out of selling off my businesses for a year. That's how I survived and created this organization called Infinity Black Political Action Committee, BPAC. And people, oh, you can't organize people all across the country. Players, I say, hell, I can't watch me. And what do I have now? I have a nationwide organization and building 
going to continue until I die to do what I'm doing. Girl, you won't actually ever die. You, you just you might change form. Uh, your energy form might change. But you'll be around forever. Because, um, like I say, you, actually yours is global. Because I know you got somebody what in Jamaica and people in Africa as well. Yeah, I got a, a branch in Jamaica, a branch in Africa, and I'm going to get some more branches abroad. Yes, I am. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're back in better health. Um, because uh, you know we talk on and off uh, off there anyway. But yeah, I'm glad you're back and able to help. Well, tomorrow, we, what are we gonna do? We're gonna pick this up tomorrow. Tomorrow's podcast will be titled "Reparations in Plain Sight." Yes, uh, so yes. on that note, um, thanks everybody for listening, calling in, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good rest of the day.